0: One day, as he was teaching the people in the temple courts and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. "'Tell us by what authority you are doing these things,' they said. "'Who gave you this authority?' He replied, "'I will also ask you a question. "'Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men?' They discussed it among themselves and said, "'If we say from heaven, he will ask, "'Why didn't you believe him?' But if we say from men, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. The text that uh, we read is an interchange between Jesus and some of the leaders in Israel in Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 8. Now they had asked a question. They, they came to Jesus and asked him, uh, Now, what authority are you doing these things? And what they were asking was, uh, who gave you the right to say what you're saying, to do what you're doing, and uh, to behave in the the manner that you're behaving? And, of course, Jesus was starting a revolution, basically. He was teaching things that they had not comprehended. They had been taught before, but they had not comprehended them. And he was making straight the uh, issues that they had made crooked in the in the past and he was introducing the the love of his father and and the things in his different teachings that uh, helped individuals understand that there was going to be a major change coming in this world and it was when after Jesus died on the cross he rose again and a, a, a fundamental change took place in the world but when they asked him that question they said by what authority are you doing these things Jesus countered that question with one of his own. He said, I'll ask you a question. If you'll answer me, I'll answer you. Which is fair. He said, the baptism of John, was it from man or God? And they said, well, they thought about it and they said, well, if we say it's from man, or from God, I think they started out, if we we say it's from God, he'll ask, "Why, why didn't you believe him? And if we say it's from man, we fear the people because all people all the multitudes believed that John was a prophet, so they said, "We can't answer." And he said, "Neither will I." So there was a stalemate. Now, the the thing that is interesting is baptism from God or man. They were discussing an issue that that would be unfamiliar to us at this point. They were asking a question that we don't don't usually ask in relationship to baptism. We live in the 21st century, and if we're talking on a religious level, about baptism, we're really talking, basically we'll be talking about the form that baptism takes. That will be generally the topic of discussion. People will not be, religious people will not be asking the question, should we do it or should we not do it? They'll be asking the question of how do we do it? So they'll be asking the question of whether, is it sprinkling? Is that what baptism is? Is it, is it, uh, Pouring is that what baptism is? Pouring water over an infant's head, or an individual's head, or a person's head, or is it immersion? That was not the question. They had no, they had no issue with it. They knew what it was. When John came preaching in the wilderness and baptizing in the River Jordan, that that question never arose. The question was, where did John come from and what was he doing and what was he saying? Now, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says, he, he came and he said he, he came in the spirit of Elijah the prophet. Well, anyway, Isaiah 40, verse 3 predicted this about John. It says, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough place is plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So the message John had was the issue these people were dealing with. His mes- message was repent, that is, reconsider your life, what you're doing, and how you're behaving yourself, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is at hand. That was John's message. And when the, in those days, John came preaching the wilderness, saying, Repent ye, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people came to him, the multitudes came to him, and said, What shall we do? Luke chapter 3 details this. There are different ones who, who ask John, What shall we do? And, and John said, Well, here's what you do. If you're going to repent, here's what you do. If you have two colts, give one to someone who doesn't have one. And if you have something to eat, meat. If you have extra, give it to someone who doesn't have any. And then the publicans said, well, what shall we do? And the publicans were public servants. And most of them, or a lot of them at least, were involved in tax collecting or as representatives of government. And he's saying, be careful, don't demand more than you're supposed to be demanding. Don't demand more. The soldiers said, well, what shall we do? And John said, well, do, do violence to no man. And be content with your wages. So he was telling them, here's how you repent. Here's what you do. So they weren't discussing whether or not they should be baptized. They were discussing what they should do after they were baptized. John's practice of baptism was taking place in what we know of as the Jordan River. Now sometimes we wonder, well, where was the Jordan River? Well, it it was the barrier between East Israel and West Israel. East Bank, West Bank, we hear it today. So the Jordan River was the dividing point, and it ran from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. It actually divided the land in, in two parts. And as far as Jerusalem is concerned, if we, if we uh, try to get an idea of where was it in relationship to Jerusalem, the closest point of the River Jordan from Jerusalem was nearly 20 miles. So if a person were to go to the River Jordan from Jerusalem, it would take probably four hours on foot to get there. So that's how far they were from the River Jordan. And then John was either further north than that. He was probably another 30 miles north on the river jordan where he was baptizing near to enon because the text says there was much water john 3:22 and 23 there's much water there and he was baptizing now it said uh, when they came to john to be baptized in matthew chapter 3 at verse 6 they came to jordan and they were confessing their sins when they were baptized confessing their sins and the act of baptism no one ever question what it was. We question that today. And we do so because we've actually uh, messed with the word baptism to the point that it doesn't mean what it did then. The word baptism today has taken on a different coloration. So there are people who believe that the word baptism can mean sprinkle, it can mean pour, it can mean immerse, it can mean just a wash. However, that was never a question in this day and time. They never questioned that. What is it? They didn't say, what what's baptism? They knew what it was. Because the word baptism is from the Greek word baptizo, which means immersion. To plunge or to dip. And that's what they understood. So when they went to John, there was much water, so that they could get their whole body underwater and come back out of the water. And you know, The point I want to make here definitely is, nobody questioned that. Nobody said, hey John, are you sprinkling, are you pouring, or are you immersing? That was never an issue. They were immersing. The act was immersion, and that's what the word baptism meant. So, when they came to the river Jordan, and they were baptized, that meant that they were plunged beneath the water, and come up out of the water. Now we can read that in several New Testament texts too. In Acts chapter eight, when Philip was going on the way to uh, Samaria or, or, on, or on his journey through the desert, he he came across a man who was uh, of, of a eunuch of the on the uh, at the charge of Candace the queen. And he joined her, He joined the chariot with this eunuch, and they talked about Jesus. And when they came to a pool of water, the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And the eunuch said, If you believe, you may. And so they stopped the chariot and they went both down into the water and he was baptized. And it says, And then they came up out of the water. So, again, I want to tell you that the the issue of what baptism is Arose later on, after the close of the New Testament, and it probably didn't come into effect, come into view as a discussion of what it is until sometime in the second or third century after Jesus was gone. Now, the activity that Jesus, that John was performing, is was not questioned basically, because they, they had sort of similar ideas of what John was doing. Uh, they The people that John was baptizing didn't question what he was doing, they questioned why he was doing it. They, they had started, for a long time, they had started doing the same thing that John was doing. That had been going on for a while. And there was a long tradition among the Jews, even today, that stretches way back, the Hasidic tradition, uh, Halakha tradition, which in, involves the Application of the law. There's the Torah and the Halakha, which which means these two parts. Which means one is the written law, and the other is the explanation or the tradition of the law and how it's applied in everyday life. So for a long, long time, the Jews have taught that water has a special property, a special cleansing property, and they take this this from a number of texts in the Old Testament. But the main text they take it from is in Jeremiah chapter 17, and verse 13. And that text says that uh, the Lord is the fountain of living waters. So from that they assume that flowing water cleanses an individual before God. Somehow cleanses that individual. There's a, there's a process of purification going on. The legend that they have even today among the Jews is that when Adam was expelled from the garden, and this is not in the Bible, I want to remind you this. This is the legend. This, this is separate and apart from the Bible. We know that there were four rivers that were that were feeding that area from the book of Genesis chapter 2. And that there was a, apparently there was a river that ran through the Garden of Eden. But the, the, the legend Jew, the Jews have is that, that uh, when Adam was cast out of the garden, that he went out, and sat in the flowing water that came out of the garden to purify himself. He immersed himself and sat in that flowing water. And he performed what they call a teshuva, which is an act of repentance, trying to get himself back into a state of perfection. So. In addition to flowing water or river water that they believe, that the Jews believe, has a special significance, they also believe that water standing in a pool, rainwater, in a natural dugout or natural depression that has collected rainwater, that that water can purify. So you have two sources of purifying water. Now, in... Let's, let's go back and see what what I'm saying is that the Jews when they saw what John was doing it didn't stun them didn't, they didn't say what is this What is, what's he doing because they in their own mind and in their own tradition they had already established something in relationship to water now they go back for instance the Jews will go back into the Old Testament. We don't live under the Old Testament anymore. We live under the New Testament. But the Old Testament provides for the Jews a basis for their practices today and for their practices then. So they go back, for instance, to, and we said they went back to Adam, but now they also go back to the, the book of Exodus in chapter 19 when God took the children of Israel and was going to take them from Egypt and deliver them to the Canaan, the promised land. And they, they went out on the Sinai Peninsula and went up on Mount Sinai. And God was meeting there with Moses. And God told Moses that when the people came to surround the mount, that they were to wash their clothes and wash themselves. And the text says they were to sanctify themselves. Get clean. Wash yourselves. Exodus 19, verse 10, and verse 14. These two texts. So that they, they say, okay. They, they take from that the idea that a person should be totally washed with pure water before they can come into the presence of God. And that's probably where we get the idea. And again, this is not a quotation from the Bible. But you hear it all the time cleanliness is next to godliness. And that's where this originated. Where, they, where Moses told the people, wash yourself, wash your clothes, and wash yourself before you present yourself to the Lord, and be sanctified, set apart. So they, before they could approach God, they had to get clean. Cleanliness next to godliness. Also, there are three chapters in the book of Leviticus, which is part of the first five books of the Old Testament, There are three chapters that talk about purification rituals. And these rituals involve the washing of the body with water. Chapter 14, 15, and 16 of Leviticus, and of course we we, uh, read in this in chapter 16 in particular about the cleansing of priests who were supposed to be ceremonially clean before they served before the temple. And in chapter 15, verse 23, the text says that they were to wash themselves with flowing water. So you can see, when the Jewish scholars are looking back at these texts, they're saying, what kind of water are we looking at that people wash themselves with? And when they run across a text like this, or a text like Jeremiah 17, 13, that talks about God being the fountain of living waters, this text says they were to wash themselves with flowing water, that you begin to get the idea that that then they look at it and they say, okay, then we need some way to wash people with a certain type of water, A certain type of water. In addition to, and uh, by the way, they they cleanse themselves in a different, several different ways. They were to wash their clothes. For instance, a leper in chapter 14. A leper once he offered all the sacrifices. And he was cleansed from his leprosy. He was to destroy the clothes, basically, that he had. And then he was to wash himself and cleanse himself with water. And then he would be purified. And the same took place of a person who came to offer certain sacrifices. They, the uh, the, the uh, observance of Yom Kippur and, and high days in the Jewish religion involve individuals Day of Atonement, and so forth, which is Yom Kippur. They were to wash themselves or bathe themselves before they offered their sacrifices. Now, they also have adopted, and we saw this in the New Testament, they also adopted the, uh, the ceremony of washing of eating utensils. Now, that came from an incident that took place in Numbers chapter 31. When Israel, under Moses, defeated the Midianite nation, and when they did, Moses gave the people a commandment to do this. This is found in verse 21 through 24. Eliezer the priest was the one who issued the instructions. He said, now, we want to take all of the vessels that can be burned with fire, metal vessels, gold and silver and iron and tin, and Pass all these through the fire and cleanse them. They were vessels from the Midianites, that nation, to cleanse them. Pass them all through the fire. He didn't talk about pottery. He didn't talk about anything that was porous. Things that were metal. Pass them through the fire and then wash them. Thoroughly wash them. Now, if you remember your New Testament, you remember that in Mark chapter 7, verse 4 through 8, Jesus remarked on this passage that this practice that they had going on when he said that they had gotten themselves involved in the washing of pots and pans and cleansing them. And the word washing in Mark chapter 7 verse 24 through 28 is the word baptism. They were baptizing their pots and pans, cleansing them. And also washing themselves, baptizing themselves, after they came from the market. So they went to the marketplace, and when they came out of the marketplace, they were to baptize themselves, or wash themselves, before they could be cleansed. So the baptism, in the background of baptism in John's environment, was not unique. Nobody asked the question, what form of baptism are you using? Because they understood that the word baptism meant an immersion. A dipping and a coming back out of the immersion now you you have to ask yourself the question, and I ask myself the question: Where did they do this where did they Where did they immerse themselves ceremonially before they went through a ritual? and we're told that the Hasidic Jews have traditionally from the time of the Hasmonian Empire have traditionally immersed themselves ceremonially to cleanse themselves before the Sabbath day, before a high day, before a sacrifice, or after they have touched something unclean that they have they practiced. What John was, was telling them was doing with those in the River Jordan. They were immersing them, baptizing them. The, uh, the Hasmonean Empire lasted, or the period lasted from about 80 years. And it started at one, about 160 before Christ. 160 years before Christ. And that's when they began the practice of what we call, and what John called, baptism. Instead of just washing the body like, let's say, standing in a, uh, under a shower head or standing uh, in a private room and using a sponge bath and or sitting in a bowl that was that was manufactured they they were practicing what John was preaching and so they when John preached it they didn't question it they knew what it was they'd been practicing this it was to them it was a purely spiritual ritual because when they went in the water they knew it wasn't the water necessarily but it was why they were doing it. Now, what's interesting is that during the Hasmonean period, 160 years before Christ, they, the, uh, the mikvah came into being. Now, mikvah, according to Jewish legend and tradition, was a pool, pool of water. Now the pool of water was in the ground. It was it was carved out of the ground, formed out of the ground. It was dug out of the ground. Matter, matter of fact, recently, and I don't want to divert, di- divert, uh, divulge myself or divert myself from what I'm going to say. There was one discovered recently under a house in Jerusalem. But anyway, they dug these mikvahs in the rock. And then they plastered them and tiled them so that they were uh, able to hold the water. And then they were filled, these mikvahs had steps down into them, and I'll show you one in a minute. They were filled with about what they called 40 law of water, or approximately 200 gallons of water. So that an individual could go down into the water completely, be immersed and come back out of the water. That's called a mikvah. The person being immersed, however, before they went into the mikvah, totally washed themselves and cleansed themselves, bathed themselves, so that when they went into the mikvah, they were already physically clean. So they weren't going in for a bath like in a spa. They were going in as a ritual that signified something else. They were generally totally nude when they went into that. Now you can understand that when John was baptizing the River Jordan, in all likelihood they were not, these people were probably not nude, because he was not performing a Jewish ritual. He was saying, get ready, the kingdom of God is at hand. Be baptized. Immerse yourself under repentance. Get ready. So he was preparing something, preparing them for something that's going to happen. And he was saying, change your, change your direction, of course. Regret what you've been doing and determine you're going to do something else now. Prepare yourself for the coming of the kingdom. So in all likelihood, when John was baptizing, he was not baptizing nude people. But the mikvahs always involved individuals who were totally, completely disrobed. And when they came out of the immersion, complete immersion, on the other side, they were given... Clean clothes. It involved; it had to involve some privacy, and it was a. It was the the pool had to be filled with fresh water, filled with water either from the rain, snow, or ice melting, or from flowing water. They could not, and sometimes they did allow the the uh, spring-fed mikvah but most of the time, and we'll show you what a mikvah looks like so we get some idea of it. These are, these are ancient mikvahs. See, they're hewn out of rock, and you can see the steps going down. The buildings that were on top of them are gone. These were not open-air buildings. These were, these were not open-air pools. They were, there were buildings on top of these, and there have been literally thousands of these discovered from that time. Thousands of these. Now, the, uh, the water re- required was to be collected in a system of delivering water so that it was not contaminated. So, rainwater was, was, was brought in through a, through a conduit system or through a trough system, and it was delivered into that particular pool. Now, they knew, and as we know, that sometimes there's not enough rainwater to fill a barrel. Sometimes the rain doesn't it doesn't go that long, so the the uh, water can evaporate. So they had a secondary pool in addition to this, in which they could put they could carry water in in pots and uh, large vessels and fill that up. And there was a two-inch pipe there is now that it's it's all delineated and it's all described in the uh, in the haraka the Jewish traditional De- definition. It's all described that there there is a, a, a two inch diameter pipe going between the two pools. So the one is water that you can carry in that is not water that can cleanse you necessarily. The other is the water that's from natural sources which is the one you go down into or they went out down to. And they say that the water coming from the one pool to the next pool is sanctified because it is kissing the natural water. That's what they say. So that's how they keep the pools refreshed. Rushing water, in John's in- instance, was acceptable. But for privacy and convenience, a river was not a common choice of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an immersion or of that ritual. So the Jews had to contrive some other form of going through the cleansing ritual other than a natural pool or a spring or a rushing river. So they contrived the, what is called a the mikvah. They consider at that time, they considered at that time that the mikvah was more important than the synagogue that was built over it. So when they built their synagogues, they built the mikvah first and then the synagogue later. And they said if they did not have enough money to build a synagogue, they still needed to build the mikvah. And if they didn't have enough from the synagogue funds, that they could sell the scrolls, the, the uh, scrolls of the Bible, in order to finance the mikvah. So it was that important to them to have that place where people could walk down into the water completely immersed and come back out of it. Now, there are several things that that, uh, come come into mind here. And and that is that it it was a purification ritual. Now, if a person came in contact with the dead, what could they do? Well, if their teaching was right, and if they were following the Old Testament, they could wash that individual, cleanse that individual. But their, their concept was that the only way they could cleanse that individual was to get them into touch with pure water, natural water. So just bathing someone in a bowl, out of a bowl, sponge bathing is what we call it, was not acceptable. So how are they going to be able to to purify themselves before they had their prayers, before they celebrated a holy day, after they were cleansed from leprosy, or from touching an unclean body, or having something unclean come upon them? And sometimes the sexual activity between two individuals involved... The, the necessity for cleansing, and so the woman had to be purified after childbirth, for instance, and the man had to be purified if he, if he uh, did not conduct himself properly in their sexual concourse. So they had to have some place where were they going to bathe, ritually bathe, the individual that needed to be cleansed. The answer was the mikvah. That's where they did it. The... Uh, the a fellow by the the name of Rikva Slonim in his introduction to his book, Introduction to Total Immersion he said the mikvah is the touchstone of Jewish life and the portal of the Jewish future it's the only way the Jew can pass from this life into the next Okay, he's talking about baptism what we call baptism Immersion. In addition to the cleansing processes there was also the beginning of a new life through the proselyte. So when a person wanted to convert to Judaism they were taught Judaism and then they were told that they had to go through a purification process and that involved total immersion. That involved them laying their clothes aside. And I want to tell you just how detailed this was. They had to leave their clothing aside. They had to bathe themselves completely. They had to take off, if it was a woman or a man, they had to take off all fingernail polish. They had to rid themselves of all perfumes. They had to take all the braiding out of their hair. As far as the men were concerned, they had to shave. Take care of, take all the body hair off, so that nothing kept them from being completely immersed and touched with that water. And then they went down into the mikvah, down into the water, completely submerged, and there was a fellow standing by to make sure that even their hair went down in the water, so that every part of them was immersed, and when they came up out of the water, they were given new clothes, not, not like their old clothes. They were given new clothing that comported with Judaism. You see what they were doing? A new life. So, it was a new start. And they actually taught, and they still teach, that water is the womb that we come out of. That's, that's because they're teaching concerning what we call baptism. And these, these continue to this day. These are modern mikvahs that you see here. And uh, they have a dressing room next to them, and they have an adjacent pool next to them. The water in those pools, in all likelihood, came from rainwater or, or melting ice water or snow water. And they generally will not accept um, spring water. And they generally will not accept river water. But they will accept water that comes down from the heavens and that they have another pool that that's adjacent to it so that, that uh, if this pool that has rainwater, filled with rainwater, 200 gallons or more so that you can be totally immersed, a man or woman can be totally immersed, there's an adjacent pool to it that they can fill with spring water but it has to be, it cannot be just tap water. It has to be water that comes from spring and they cannot build these above the surface it has to be in the ground it has to be in the earth and plastered over and so forth so like i said before there were there there have been hundreds even thousands of these uh, discovered archaeologically in and around jerusalem there's just hundreds and hundreds of them around the temple area so you wonder well when peter was preaching on the day of pentecost and he preached that everybody should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Where did they baptize them? They were 20 miles from the River Jordan. There's no other river close by. Where would they baptize them? Some think Herod had built a couple of pools, large pools, to accommodate the visitors to Jerusalem who came for the holy days who had to be purified before they could go through the rituals. Where did they do this? And the answer is, every synagogue in Jerusalem had a mikvah beneath it. We call ours baptistries, and we put them up. It doesn't make any difference where we have them. We can put them above the level of the floor. We can put them beneath the floor. We can put them in the ground. But we don't have that same concept that the water has some sort of cleansing power to it, which they did. They felt that the water was was necessary and it had to be purified and that the person involved in it had to make sure that that water came from the proper source. So they still have what is called a a mikvah today and it's it's, uh, gaining a lot of popularity, basically. But now then, that's what was going on. So when John came on the scene and he was baptizing the River Jordan The people were not necessarily concerned about what he was doing or how he was doing it, but they were concerned about what he was saying. What did it mean? And John was preaching repentance, the coming of the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. You need to get ready for it. They weren't saying, hey John, what is this thing called baptism? That didn't even occur to them because they'd been practicing it for over a hundred years. And they had hundreds of these, as a matter of fact, some think thousands of them, in that area of mikvahs, where this same ritual sort of a thing was going on. People understood. This had to be done. Now, they did not discuss the mode, what we would call the mode of baptism. Sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. That was never discussed. It was a given. They all understood it meant immersion. When a person baptized, they go down into the water completely and come up out of the water. That's what was, they, they never they never discussed that. What they discussed was, what does it mean? And so in John chapter three and verse twenty-five, it says that some of the disciples of John were discussing with the Pharisees the business of the subject of purification. They were talking about not what not what we, what you 're doing but what does it mean so they were talking to john 's disciples about the subject of never talking about baptism they were talking about the subject of purification how are you purified okay now I think when we when we get this in mind and we know what 's going on that gives us an idea of what some of the things that Jesus was teaching for instance i 'm going to read a text in John chapter three and see if you can 't put all this together and see what, what was going on in the mind of this, this teacher in Israel. It says, There was a man of, of the Pharisees, John chapter 3, at verse 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that your teacher comes from God, for no man can do these things that you do, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he's saying, you have to start all over again. Now as far as the Jews were concerned, the only people who had to start all over again were the Gentiles. They didn't have to start all over again, but the Gentiles did. And then Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Remember that the Jews hold that water, natural water, is the womb of man's beginnings. That's where he starts. Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's combining two elements. He's saying it has to be water. They understood water. And of the Spirit, that meant that he had to have something within himself, something in his own soul, in his own being, that had to be born again. And then he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. So he says, I'm not talking about natural birth, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it came from, and where it goes, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Now listen to what Jesus said. He said, are you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? Wasn't he familiar with the, with the concept of purification through the mikveh and the way they were immersing people and the Gentiles were becoming Jews coming up out of the water and starting all over again? So he's saying, he's saying, Nicodemus, where have you been? Don't you understand these? These are things you've been practicing. The concept you've been practicing of purification. He said, are you a master of Israel? And you don't understand that. Now, Jesus taught and preached baptism. When He when he uh, rose from the dead, and before He went back to heaven, He took His disciples aside, His apostles, twelve, eleven at that time, because of Judas. And He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And he said, go therefore and teach all nations. Matthew chapter 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them, go immerse these people. Immerse them. What happens when they're immersed? It's the gospel message that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Now the question that would jump into my mind at that point is 2,000 people it says 2,000 people were baptized. Where? They didn't go down to Jerusalem. I mean they didn't go down to Jordan. They were in the city of Jerusalem. They were on the temple mount. Under every synagogue there was a mikvah and there were hundreds of these things surrounding that temple area that had been discovered. I'm sure that's where they went. I'm almost positive that's where they went. Because that's what they'd been doing for so long. They knew that. Okay. But even so, it involved the new life. In Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and 4, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we being buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism then that Jesus is talking about was not a purification ritual. It was a starting point. It was a launching point from which we start our new life. And we didn't, we didn't have to go into the waters of baptism totally nude and washed all over from all the filth of flesh. We didn't have to do that because Peter said baptism is not the putting away the filth of the flesh but the answer of a pure conscience toward God. 1 Peter 3.21 When you're baptized into Christ... You don't have to cleanse yourself, put off your old clothes, and go into the water nude, make sure that you don't have any jewelry on, or nothing attached in your hair, and, and not even having your hair braided, or being shaved all over. You don't have to do that. Because what happens is, Jesus says, you're being buried with Me in baptism, so you can rise to walk in newness of life with Me. It is our starting point. And it is our point where we... As, our, as individuals, our souls are being changed from old to new. Our hearts are being changed. And that's what Romans 10.22 says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now what it comes down to is this. Do we say, yes, Lord, we'll do that? Or do we argue about what form does it take? Nobody has argued the form that it took until later on men came along and injected their bias and their opinions and their prejudices and their traditions Says, well, baptism may or may not be this or that or something else. It was never in doubt what it was. It was a total immersion going down in the water and coming up out of the water. There's always that. Never anything except that. But... In Luke chapter seven, verse twenty-nine and thirty, and this is the one I want to read. When they asked the question, they were this this question that they were asking of Jesus. Uh, they, they didn't want to bring up the idea of baptism, but Jesus brought the, brought the brought the subject up, and uh, he he asked the question, "Is it from man or is it from God?" And they said, "Well, if we say it's from God, then he'll ask us why why didn't we believe? If we say it's from man, we're we're afraid of the people because they they don't want to." want to uh, fall into disfavor of the people. But in Luke chapter 7 at verse 28, Jesus is saying this to some people. He said, For this I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized. They all were baptized because they believed what He said. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. If you haven't been baptized into Jesus Christ, don't find yourself in the position of rejecting God's counsel against yourself. And if you ask me, what is it? It's the same thing today that it was then. It's a total immersion. You go down to, into the water with your faith in your heart in Jesus Christ that He is the Son of God. And you leave all of your old life behind. You're not going to get a new change of clothes. Bring the same clothes you've got and wear the same clothes home. What's going to happen is you're going to be cleansed in your heart when you come up out of the water of the baptism. God help you make that decision.